0: So here we are. I'm going to be preaching for this next few minutes. I'm Dan. I'm one of the leaders here. And this is our topic for this preaching series we're doing in 1 Thessalonians. We're talking about going forward. And I don't know about you, but I think going forward is so much more fun than going backwards. Have you ever found that? Your car has four, five, six gears to go forward and only one for that sticky situation where you need to kind of back up and do something different. Yeah, the Christian life was made for you to go forward. And At times we can feel like we're not always moving forward, but this is what God's plan for our life is. And this amazing book of 1 Thessalonians, it talks um, in a beautiful climactic way about where this is all going for the Christian and for the whole world. And that is this, that Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. And we're encouraged to think about that all of the time and to know that this is where everything is headed. Your life, my life, Whoever they are in the world, whether they believe or not, it's about Jesus coming again. And we're to align our lives based on that truth. It's way more important than Brexit, it's way more important than Brazilian rainforests. And in this season, between now and that time, God is making his people ready. He's causing the kingdom of God to go to the ends of the earth and the gospel to expand and for people to become believers. And he's getting you and me ready. And in this phase, between now and then, the Bible teaches that we will face opposition. We'll face challenge and difficulty, and it doesn't shy away from that. And today, we're going to look at what some of those challenges are, as they experience them in the Thessalonian church and in the Apostle Paul's life, and we're going to see how we overcome those challenges. Does that sound okay? That's where we're going. So let's read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17 to 3. 11, but brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated you from a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul did, I mean he threw the others under the bus there, didn't he, again (laughs) and again, but Satan, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent out to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you, and that our labours might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith." Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. So those verses were interspersed with phrases. I put some of them in bold to suggest that this isn't plain sailing, the Christian life. There are challenges. There are, there are opponents to be fought. And here's the news for you and I today, that you're in a fight. Tell somebody you're in a fight. But here's the thing. It's a good fight It's a good fight and it's a fight that God has destined for you to win. So therefore it's a super encouraging fight for us to deal with and engage with today because God's plan, as has come across in the worship today, God's plan is victory, victory for you and I. And in olden times and in some denominations still, when they baptise believers, they use this phrase, the congregation will say over them, as they get baptised, they'll say, fight valiantly against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And they're the three basic arenas in which we fight this fight of faith. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And we're not going to exhaustively cover those three topics today, but I'm going to look at how Paul understood those, uh, those things in this context in the Thessalonian church. So when we read through, we read about Feelings of isolation, feelings of frustration, feelings of Satan blocking the way, unsettling trials, temptations, even the hand of God stopping him from getting to where he needs to get. So first of all, we're going to look at the flesh. The flesh The flesh is kind of who we are. It's our humanity. It's our mind, our will, our emotions, our bodies. It's what we are. Jesus lived his life in the flesh. He was a human being. Yet, unlike us, he never sinned. In our humanity, we have biases to 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 sin. But you know, every human being we have vulnerabilities and things that we have to deal with routinely in our life to make sure we keep fighting this fight and keep moving forwards, not allowing ourselves to get pushed backwards. Here's what it was for Paul, verse 17. Brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated you from a short time, in person, not in thought, out of intense longing, we made every effort to see you. I had to read that a couple of times when I first read it. The intensity of the emotions that Paul is expressing about this group of believers that he'd spent a short amount of time with and then had had to leave in a real hurry for their safety and his, he'd had to leave town. And now he's writing back to him, and he says, "I just, guys, I just want to tell you what this felt like for me. It felt like separation anxiety. It felt like I'd lost my parents. That's, that's how Paul, the Apostle Paul, super mature Christian leader, he says, this is how it was for me. I felt so, so mournful of the loss I was experiencing. Do you know, the biggest challenges that Paul faced in his ministry it wasn't dealing with the spreadsheets, the number of churches planted, the number of people saved and added. those were things that we read about in the Bible in terms of numbers and success. but the thing that kept him awake was this: How are people doing? How are those churches doing? It kept him awake. It made him think all of the time. Do you know the biggest and most wonderful? exciting things that will happen in your life and mine is to do with relationships with people. It's people. You read these verses here that Paul talked about, these people who he had spent time with, and he said, You're our hope, our joy, you're the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. If he had known that Kylie Minogue song, he'd have sang, I just can't get you out of my head. He would have done. That's how he felt about them. He said, he said you're the, the biggest delight in my life right now. I just can't stop thinking about you. You know, when you're leading well, and when you're in a, a workplace or a church leadership position or any leadership position or in a family, parenting, whatever that is, and things are going well, that's exactly how you feel. You feel like, I would do anything just to keep this right now. I love it. But do you know what the biggest challenges you'll face in your life are? People, isn't that funny? The the greatest joys are also the greatest challenges. Often, the very same people. <laughs> Children. <laughs> one day you love them. One day you still love them, but then you find them challenging. <laughs> it's true in church, isn't it? We we, we work through cycles of, of of love and challenge and, and honesty. We experience loss. Forward churches thinking, always experience loss. In a globalised world, we'll experience loss. When we plant a church into West Lothian. that took some adjustment for some of us because it's like, well, hey, we're doing life with all these people that we love so much and now we just see them less because they're doing life together over there. We're doing life over here. They're having a great time, by the way. They're doing so well and really uh, prospering and and flourishing in God. But for some of us, we we felt that loss. We could, Like Paul, we need to acknowledge that loss. For some of you, you've, you've graduated from the student world where, isn't it wonderful when you're a student, you just get to see everybody all of the time and you get to hang out and you have small group and you have meals together and you do everything together, you do life together, you do church together, not just once on a Sunday but twice on a Sunday and then you get a job. And it's like, whoa, small group once a week? Church once on a Sunday, how am I going to survive? And you feel that sense of loss, anxiety, separation. I just want to encourage you. If that's your feeling today, this is totally normal. And it was Paul's experience. Here's the here's the thing. How do we guard our heart? How do we fight that fight of the flesh? In relationships, well, uh, just four really quick things. Firstly, you work at them. You work at relationships. Paul said, we made every effort to see you. He wasn't going to let things just drop. He said, I made the effort. He couldn't see them, so he did the next thing. He took an interest anyway. And he sent his second best, Timothy. He said, I couldn't come, but I sent Timothy instead. He wrote them a letter. He was inquisitive about them. You know, there's a lot you can do, even when you don't live... In proximity to people all of the time to keep taking an interest in their lives. Here's the third thing he did he chose to be easily encouraged. I love that bit, it's just that he sounds like a slightly overly emotional, needy guy, Paul, in these verses. He said, I sent Timothy to you, and I was really pleased when he sent the report that said that you remembered who I was. <laughs> and he writes back to me and says, I was really pleased you said that. Isn't it funny? To be easily encouraged when you hear little bits of news back from people is a way of fighting that fight of faith. And fourthly, he prayed for them. He said, night and day we pray most earnestly for you again and again. Praying for people is certainly something all of us can do even when we don't see people. That's how Paul fought that fight of the flesh. That's how he, he stopped himself getting into low places where he thought, you know what, out of sight, out of mind, I bet they don't even remember me, I don't they care. He, let, he, wouldn't, he could have let that relationship just slip into insignificance and believed the worst. But he did everything he did to honour and protect relationships because he knew that fundamentally the kingdom of God is about relationships. Maybe God's calling you today to... Trust him with your feelings of loss. Here's the the second area that I'd love us to look at. The world. So the flesh and the world. The opposition that comes from without. So he said this, We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. Then a bit later, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged because of your faith. He's talking about persecution and trials. He's talking about things that are outwith of our control that affect our faith and our well-being. And the things that go on the outside, that are outside of our control and having negative impact on us, they create feelings in us of what Paul calls distress. Anybody here had experience of things outside of their control on the outside that have caused distress on the inside? Yeah, I'm seeing a few nodding heads here. This is kind of the life we live. Now, in their case, in Acts 17, where it talks about the Thessalonian church being planted... Their opposition included mob violence people breaking and entering a Christian's house to try and and kill the Christian leaders there misrepresentation of Christian beliefs to incite hatred towards Christians and a court case that resulted uh, in a total injustice and the Christians being fined for something they were totally innocent of. Now we live in Scotland. It's unlikely we're facing those things in those degrees here. But I'd say this, in this church where we're from all kinds of nations of the world, I bet there's some of us here. And you're from nations and places where you think, no, that's, that's not so far away from the truth of where I'm from and my family, what my family's facing there are probably certain lines of work in the UK now where you know you just have to be very careful about the way you express your Christianity because it's not always acceptable and it can get you into trouble. In our culture, we need the wisdom of Daniel to be able to know when to speak up and, and when to hold back. But these are things that Christians are called to face. How do we fight this fight? Firstly, with truth. Truth. I love Paul's matter-of-fact nature. He said, I told you this would happen. So when it happened, they could say, it's okay because Paul told us it would happen. Embracing the truth helps us to fight the fight. Paul taught them that this was normal Christianity. The second way he taught them to fight this fight was by sending Christian leaders to strengthen and encourage them. Strength and encouragement from trusted people. I wonder what Timothy said to them. Here's one thing he probably couldn't say to them. He couldn't just wave his hand and say, it's okay, it's going to stop. But he did probably say to them, quoting Paul in Philippians 2, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, no matter what is going on in the world, here's something you can be encouraged by. Your salvation is secure. Nothing can separate you from Jesus. One day you're going to be with him forever and all this nonsense is going to stop. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. He might have encouraged them from Hebrews 10, as we know it now. and he said, he said, let's keep meeting together. Let's not give up meeting together. Encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. He might have encouraged them by telling them that God was in control. He might have encouraged them in the words of Peter, where he said, your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, is being refined so that your faith might result in praise and glory and honour to Jesus when he's revealed. Here's what trials and temptations and battles do for us. They make us more like Jesus, which brings Jesus much glory at the end of the day. Okay, the flesh, the world, the devil. you ready for the devil? Okay, here we go. So, Paul says, verse 18, For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked the way. Then in verse 5 of chapter 3, he said, I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. Now, we don't talk a lot about the devil and Satan in Western culture. We tend to think of that as being something a little uh, far removed. And therefore, as Christians in Western culture, we often don't talk about this very much. So let me just say a couple of things first. C.S. Lewis wisely said, Talking about this issue, he said, There's two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. Charles Spurgeon, when he was talking about what spiritual warfare looked like, he said, look up, look down, look all around. And what he meant was this, that over and above everything, God is sovereign. And therefore, when we look down at the devil, who the Bible describes as being crushed underneath believers' feet, we're to understand that any action he takes against us is actually in total um, permission from the sovereign God who is over and above all things. Um, If you've read the famous book, The Pilgrim's Progress, I've just started reading a kid's edition to one of my kids. And it's a brilliant book, it's, a, it's an allegory of the Christian life. Somebody walking from the city of destruction to the heavenly city along a narrow road that takes him across some adventures. And the pilgrim's name is Christian. And at one point on his journey, he's walking along the road and two people come running at him and they say, you've got to turn back, there's lions on the path ahead. And they go back. And he keeps going and he sees these lions and they're right there in front of him. And a voice comes to him from beyond the lions and it says, Is thy strength so small? By the way, the one I'm reading to my kids didn't have the these and thou's in. This is just the original. Is thy strength so small? Fear not the lions, for they are chained and are placed there for the trial of faith where it is and for discovery of those that have none. Keep in the midst of the path, and no hurt shall come unto thee. And so Christian walks through these lions on either side of the path, and they're roaring at him, but they can't touch him. Satan cannot touch you if you follow Jesus and follow the path he has you on. But the Apostle Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11 that we must be aware of his schemes. And in verse 18 that we just read, Paul himself said, Satan blocked our way. Now, the word Satan it simply means adversary. It, means, it comes from a verb, meaning to obstruct or oppose. And that's kind of what Satan's been doing ever since the Garden of Eden. He's been obstructing and opposing the will and the plan of God. He's there to block progress. I don't know if you've ever played the game Exploding Kittens. Some of you have. If you, put your hand up if you played this game. Okay, sorry for those of you who haven't. It's a game that's worth, um, it's worth watching. Uh, basically, it's a card game. And the idea is you're trying to outmaneuver your opponents. And you can think you've played a really good card that's going to really help you win the game. And then the next player simply gets their nope card out. And... This is what Satan does to Christians. Whenever Christians are trying to make progress and they think, I'm going to follow Jesus, he tries to get out his nope card. And he says, no, he's the adversary, he's the blocker, he's the stopper. That's what he seeks to do in your life and mine. How many times have I heard the story that, that, that somebody hears a teaching about getting baptised, to follow Jesus, getting baptised in water. And they hear it and they think, yeah, that sounds good. And then a couple of days later they say, you know what, I've thought about it. And I thought, I'm not going to do it right now. Why? Because Satan's noped them. <laughs> Sometimes you'll, you'll feel inclined to be generous, to bless somebody or to, to give a donation or something and you think, yeah, I'm really stirred to do that. And you think, I'll just, I'll just leave it till tomorrow. And then you get up the next morning and you think, oh yeah, I got a bit enthusiastic about that, didn't I? What happened? Satan noped you. You get home late from work on a Wednesday or Thursday night and you have your dinner and you think, oh man, it's 7.30 already and small group starts. Now, and you, think, and you look at your watch and think, you know, it'd be, it'd be kind of fun to just stay home and watch Netflix. What's happened? Satan has noped you. He's robbed you of an opportunity for community where you can give and receive. We have to be aware of his schemes. Now, that's not to say you should never take a, a night of small group and all, but beware. We just give into these things. Oh, that's just how I'm feeling. No, we have an enemy who is really active. Do you want to know some of the things that he does? I mean, with church lunches coming, we could do that instead if you like. I don't know. Would you like to hear what some of the things he does? Great. Okay. I knew you did. I was just anyway. I've got eight things. Right. I'm gonna go really quick. Here's the first strategy that Satan uses. He's called in John chapter 8, the liar and the father of lies. Do you know what he's going to do in your life? He's going to lie to you incessantly again and again and again. He's going to lie to you about who God is, the character of God. He's going to tell you that God doesn't love you. He's going to tell you that God doesn't love people. He's going to tell you all sorts of nonsense. As much nonsense as he can get into your head, he will try to fill it with. That's why we need to be filled with the truth of the word of God. Secondly, he blinds the minds of those who don't believe in Jesus yet. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Have you ever thought to yourself, if you're a Christian here today, you're kind of thinking, man, who wouldn't want to believe this? This is amazing. Forgiveness of sins, relationship with God, eternal life. Who wouldn't want to believe it? And then you try and share it with somebody and say, I really don't want this. And you're like, how? They're being noped by the devil. Here's the third thing. He pretends to be what he's not. 2 Corinthians 11 verses 13 to 15 says even Satan disguises himself not as a devil with red horns but as an angel of light. Here's the thing about Satan. He's an attractive voice sometimes. Sometimes People, I'll, know, I'll be chatting to somebody and they'll be saying, uh, and, and say, oh yeah, I'm just I'm thinking about reading this book. You know, it's got a slightly different angle on some of the stuff we believe as Christians. And I'm like, don't read that book. Don't read that book because Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And he, there were many false teachers in the New Testament period who people thought, they're good. They're good teachers. They're good communicators. They seem to have their life together. Let's listen to them. And the apostles would say, no, don't listen to them. It's a road to destruction. He pretends to be what he's not. Fourthly, he tempts. We read in these verses, he, Paul was worried. He said, I'm, I was worried that the tempter might have tempted you because that's what tempters do. He tempted Jesus. And there's no, uh, there's no limit to what he'll try here. I mean, fancy even trying his luck on the Son of God. But you know, he waited until Jesus was his weakest moment after 40 days of not eating before then saying, Fancy some bread? Why do you just, Jesus, why do you just throw yourself off this tall building? I'm sure the angels will catch you. <laughs> Trying to encourage Jesus to throw himself off to commit suicide. It was a temptation that he faced. And he'll tempt you. And there's no end to the absurdity of the temptations that will come your way. The Bible says that no temptation has has, has come to you except what is common to all people. I want to say to you today, some of you here feel like you're wrestling with temptation that surely nobody else in the room is. I want to say I doubt that very much. And in my experience, usually when I talk about the temptation I'm feeling, at least somebody else says, yeah, I've felt that way too. I want to encourage you to overcome in this battle by being vulnerable and honest. Fifthly, he plucks the word of faith from people's heart where it hasn't taken root. Remember the parable of the sower? The seed gets scattered on the ground and there's there's this seed and it's just lying by the path. It hasn't taken root yet. And Jesus says, and then Satan comes and he just steals it. There's one thing that Satan hates, it's faith. I remember taking a friend as a teenager along to a, a Christian event, and I was so sure he was going to respond at the end. It was a great meeting. I just felt he was about to walk forward, and he didn't. And we went the next night, and he didn't walk forward that night. And I, I chatted to him afterwards, and he said, he said, You know what? He said, I really was going to go forward that first night. He said, but I just thought, you know, I'll just leave it till tomorrow. He said, And then it's just gone. It's not, I, I didn't. He'd allowed it to be stolen. Here's another way that faith gets stolen. God will give you an initiative in your heart. All the great initiatives that happen in the kingdom of God come out of a place of faith. And he'll have initiated things in your heart, your life, ministries, ideas. And the thing that the devil loves to do while you're not looking is to just get in there and to just steal the faith out of it. So that all you're left with is rotors to run and work to do, and it feels joyless and empty because faith has been stolen. Don't let him have that victory. Keep your trust in God. Keep your trust in Jesus. Here's the sixth one. He causes some sickness. Not all sickness. not saying a majority of sickness even. But in Luke chapter 13, verse 16, Jesus healed a woman and he said, this woman who Satan has held captive these 18 years... Satan can oppose us by causing sickness at times. Seventhly, he hinders evangelism and discipleship. That's what he did in the Thessalonian church. Paul said, I want to come and help, but Satan's blocked me. Eighthly, he accuses Christians before God. Revelation 12 verse 10 says that he stands before God And he accuses, he's the accuser of the brothers and sisters. He's trying to talk to God about you. Of course, God doesn't listen to him because he knows he's a liar. But do you know the other people that Satan accuses? He'll accuse you about yourself, he'll tell you stuff about you that you don't want to hear and that isn't true. He'll tell you that you're not forgiven. He'll tell you that you're not loved. He'll tell you that you don't belong in this church. He'll tell you that you're, you're not recognised. He'll tell you that you're, not, uh, you're missing out. He'll use any manner of accusation. But, you know, it's not just about you. He'll tell you that about other people as well. He'll tell you things about other people in this room which are just blatantly untrue. And if we're not careful, we can say, oh, yeah, I wonder if that was their motive when they said that thing or did that thing and we find ourselves listening to the accuser of the brothers we must be so careful of that let me ask you just right now as we draw to a close in just a couple of moments if he's the father of lies and the accuser of the the brothers and sisters if this is one of his main strategies that you and I are engaged in this war with let me ask you what's, what's the lie he's telling you right now What's the accusation he's bringing? What's the thing that you need to resist? You can take a moment to think about it. Let me just tell you about me for a moment. Um, So, I'm, I'm a leader, I'm a church leader, and therefore part of my job is to Try and make things work and, and make them work well and to move things on and to help people and care for people. because I'm human, that doesn't always work out as I hope. And when, And when I don't achieve those things, I, I can tend to just feel, as any leader does, and all of you in leadership will experience this in whatever sphere you think, I just feel guilty, I feel bad about that." Now, in terms of my disposition, The lie that I hear is this, that as I begin to process those things, the voice I'll hear, which is an odd thing, is this, it'll be a voice that says, you just didn't work hard enough. You didn't do enough. And the reason this happened is because you failed. And... I have to process that and think about that. Now, one of the ways I process that is from time to time. I'll, because I'm married, I can suggest to my wife, Julia, i say, you know what, I'm just wondering sometimes if we should be doing more for church and kind of giving more of our time and more of my energy. And it helps because she just thumps me. And uh, not really. She's very, Of course, she's very kind. Uh, but... The, the, the lie is countered by the truth that actually way too many of my evenings and spare time is actually spent doing stuff because I tend to overwork, not underwork. That's my tendency in life. When I submit my diary to my fellow elders, usually Chris will make the point, he'll say, Dan, how was your Monday off? And I'll say, it was really great, thanks, I had a great day. And he said, he said I got five emails from you yesterday. And and he says, maybe some other people did as well. I'm like, yeah, but I'm you know, just, just moving stuff on. I like to do this. See, the, the, the lie is outflanked by the truth. But do you know where the, the real truth comes from? It comes from Jesus on the cross where he says that my life was never defined by being busy. It was actually defined by his finished work. And if I feel any sense of guilt, it's actually dealt with at the cross. And so last week when we heard that prophetic word and, and Phil Wilsey called me out in particular, he said, he said, Dan, God wants to say the pressure's off. That's because God knows what I'm like. Now let me ask you again, what's the lie that you're believing? It might be the same, I don't know, I, yeah, I dare say it's something different. What's the thing where the enemy would just keep whispering this in your ear? And let me ask you, how are you going to deal with it? How are you going to respond? Are you going to believe it? Are you going to talk about it? Are you going to take it to the cross? Are you going to receive grace and mercy that you might walk in freedom? Because God wants to take the pressure off you as well. So here's the question. How do we overcome these eight areas? James 4 verse 7. It says, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Here's the deal. We submit to God. And when we live that life, when we take our failure, when we take opposition and we run to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I just need you. I don't have the words, but I need you. I'm going to lean on you. I want to come into the rock of ages, cleft for me. When we say that, this is the effect it has on Satan. He scarpers. He doesn't just sit quietly and wait at the outside, waiting for you to come. No, he, he runs away. He hates that more than anything. When you put your dependency on Jesus, he runs away. Therefore, submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to the truth about who God is and his character. Adam and Eve didn't do that. They forgot the character of God and went with the lie. We have this annual joke in my family, in, in our household. Around about this time of year, as we're thinking about Christmas, um, I'll, I'll say at the dinner table or something, I'll say, oh kids, I've just read in the news, it's bad news. That apparently there's a, a national Christmas present shortage this year, and all the shops are empty, and Christmas is cancelled. And it kind of worked the first year. They were like, whoa. But every time now, it's like, Dad. Why? Because they know me, they know the character, they, they know that they're going to get Christmas presents. Christmas has never been cancelled in our household. Thank you, Jesus. When we submit ourselves to God, it's to trust Him in loving submission and we resist the lies of the devil, and he runs. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Sounds like a deadly trilogy, but let me give you a, a much better one to finish. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Isn't that great? <laughs> that's the thing that's to preoccupy us. It's not world, flesh, and devil. It's, it's him. It's God. And in these verses, if we were to read them again, it would talk about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit in the sense of He's talking about the presence of God. And today as we wrap up, let me invite you to take a step into this life of faith again. To trust your Father in heaven who loves you. To resist the devil who is a defeated foe who Jesus crushed on the cross 2,000 years ago and has very limited role to actually move in your life. But this is where it's going. Victory. You overcoming This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Satan is crushed under your feet. Today, let's stand up and let's respond to him.